Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. It's September. What does September do for you? For me, instinctually, I think I better start sharpening my pencil crayons and I better go get some nice new white shoes and I better keep my stress and anxiety levels cool because I'm going back to school and then I realize I'm not going back to school. That stress is just there because I'm an adult. Fun. Uh, the thing that is here is TIFF. I feel like TIFF people start your engines for 10 days straight. You see as many great movies as you can. You meet as many inspiring and creative people as you can. You go to some fun events, all that stuff. But it's definitely a time of, of stress because it's a lot. There's a lot going on. And uh, this year, Firecracker Department, we're holding our very first TIFF party. And I'm so excited about this because, I mean, I've been to a bunch of different TIFF parties before, but I feel like, you know, when you throw the party yourself, you can kind of do it the way you want to do it. I'm recording this before the party because, you know, work-life balance is important. <laughs> I don't have, that's a joke, I don't have any work-life balance. Uh, and you don't want to hear me anyway talking post-opening weekend voice when I'm usually like, oh. I sound like the little frog in the shoebox. You know the one I'm talking about from the cartoon when he's got like, hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. And then when he asked to perform, he's like, ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. That's me. Picture my face on the frog's body. Yes. Yes, I expect some photoshopping to be done. We've worked so hard to get this party together and get you firecrackers into a room together to celebrate us, this extraordinary firecracker community that is coming together. And it's it, it blows my mind. It's only a year ago that we came together as a group and we have gone such a distance. And I have to say that you listening to this, you coming to the party, you participating in this community makes it all the better. Truly. The firecracker department is only as good as its members. And because you're here one better. But the Blaze Award is our first year that we're giving this away and we're giving it to Jan Arden. And I know if you know Jan Arden, and of course you do, you love her. I adore her. She's not only a, a source of inspiration for so many people, she's also one of the most dearest and compassionate and empathetic hearts you'll ever meet. And you know, that just comes out in her music. We went, a bunch of us went to see her at the CNE a couple of weeks ago. And we just stood there like in awe of her, her brightness, her brightness. That's what it is. Uh, and then we went back and forth between laughing at how lucky we are to share space with this woman to bawling because her songs just hit our hearts so deeply. They can't, it, it, you can't help it. You can't help it. She's extraordinary. Speaking of Jan Arden, she's my guest on the podcast today. That's probably the best segue I've ever done. Uh, this past year has been just stellar for Jan. I mean, she's come out with a new album called These Are The Days. She's come out with a book called Feeding My Mother. She's continuing an amazing podcast with Arlene Dickinson called The Business of Life. And truly, that is one of my favorite podcasts because these two gals are just so smart and funny and um, their hearts are so big. They aren't doing business without heart, which I just love. So... Um, give that a listen. And they just talk. They just sound like you're eavesdropping on a couple of friends. Um, it's fantastic. Jan is also going into her second season of the amazingly popular hit Canadian TV show on CTV, Jan. 
amazing. She blows my mind. She really just blows my mind. And not only is she an inspiration to just fill my heart, but she's an inspiration to me to take creative action. So a lot of the things that I'm doing right now is because she's inspired me. I'm taking creative action. I spoke to Jan live at the YYC Comedy Festival in Calgary a few months ago in May. And uh, this festival is one of my favorite festivals in the comedy world because not only do they bring together amazing comics, funny, funny, funny comics, they bring diverse, like what a di- Go look at the poster. It is the most diverse roster of comedians you'll ever see. It's got... Uh, 50-50 men to women, but also LGBTQ is represented. Different ethnicities are represented. It's just an amazing thing. And uh, Anna Gustafson and Corey Mack put together an amazing festival. And they brought me to Calgary to interview Jan in front of a live audience. Now, I've only met Jan online up until this point. And um, I thought it would be fun and a little bit scary to meet her for the first time when she came out on stage. Because... Honest to God, and I say this in my podcast, because um, both our moms, my mom has dementia and uh, Jan's mom recently passed away from Alzheimer's. And so we have a huge connection on that. So we've been talking a little bit about that on social media. And so I said to Jan um, in the podcast, actually, that the smell of the geraniums, apple polished lipstick from Revlon, and the sound of her voice will always remind me of my mother. Always. So when she stepped out on stage... It made my heart just leap with joy to be able to be here. My mom, um, my mom's still around. She's in a home and she's doing okay. But she would be flabbergasted with the fact that I got to sit down with Jan. She'd be like, oh, Naomi, what a life. What a life. <laughs> and, uh, and she's not wrong. Jan came out with Mitty, her little puppy, and... Uh, Oh my gosh, you have to go to her Instagram account and check out this little dog because it's adorable. And uh, in the middle of our interview, she puts Mitty down on the stage. And I was like, oh yeah, this this is a recipe for disaster. This cute little dog walking around the stage. But she just went and sat with an audience member for a little while. And then she came back. Yeah, she's the best. Anyway, this conversation I had with Jen was so, so everything to me. It was funny. It was powerful. It was motivating. And I got to share it with his audience. So we had a little bit of time at the end for a Q&A. And now I get to share it with you. I'm so thrilled. Just before we go to my conversation with Jan, I have to give a big firecracker shout out to one of our sponsors. This is to Fabrizio D'Amico. Now, I've known Fab forever. He's like a friend of the comedy world in Toronto. And when I reached out to him to perhaps sponsor the uh, TIFF party coming up, he came back and was like, absolutely. And you know when somebody just says yes at the right time? Boy, that was a yes I needed to hear. He just came through for us in a big, big way. So if you don't know Fab, Fab in the city is Fabrizio's whole game. And he's a real estate agent. So if you're in Toronto and you're looking to buy a home in this nutso market, Fab is here for you. Fab's your guy. Go to him. He's a major supporter of Firecracker Department and supporter of the arts in this city as well. Uh, He's not only super cool and a fantastic dresser and really sweet and funny, uh, but he's just like a guy that you want to be around. And if you've ever shopped for a house, you need to like your real estate agent because it's not going to be... Well, it could be really challenging. It could take forever 
and you wanna hang out with somebody, you like to hang out and Fab is your guy. The way he handles things is as if he's buying a house with you. That's how, that's how natural and supportive he is. He's just the best. And then also you probably wanna go for a coffee with him afterwards. He's been selling fab homes to fab people since 1999 and you can find him at fabinthecity.com. I really, really encourage you if you even have like a glimmer of like, oh, maybe I should look for a place in Toronto. Go on over fabinthecity.com. Fab. It's in the name. It's in the city. Go find him. Thanks, Fab. I love ya. As you know, Firecracker Department loves people who start their own things, start creative things like films, like TV series, like web series, like visual arts, like music, like dance, like podcasts, other podcasts. We love them. Feminist Thrill Joys is a podcast where three women take a break from smashing the patriarchy to chat about the feminist and feminist adjacent things that they love. It's the best. These gals are just fantastic to listen to. The hosts are Kat Jetson, who also co-hosts uh, Buffy Erpers, Valerie Ann, who's a writer on Auto Straddle, and Bridget Luziski, who's the editor-in-chief of the TV Junkies. Come on! Those gals are kick-ass! They've interviewed firecrackers like Danny Kind, and you can find their podcast wherever you found ours. Really easy, right? And you can connect with them at Feminist Thrill Joys. Spelling really just like it sounds. Follow Kat at Kat Jetson, Valerie Ann at Punky Starshine, and Bridget on Bridget on TV. Have a listen to theirs, but of course, listen to ours first, and then let me know what you think of both of them. And now, without further ado, here's my chat with Jan. I don't even know how to introduce somebody like this. She's a Jacqueline of all trades. She's an author, she's a singer-songwriter, she's an award winner, uh, she's a blogger, she's a podcaster, uh, she's a, a raker. She's a gardener. She can do everything, everything. And now she's adding actor to that list with her new show, Jan, on CTV. Please welcome Jan Arden. Mitty and Mitty. Hi, pal. Hi, Mitty. Hi, little one. I almost brought Rufus. Did you? And then I thought, what happens if they're humping backstage? <laughs> It'll just start off the wrong way. Hi, buds. Hi. Oh, so stage fright. So, um, what do you think? This is so great. It's so nice to just be home and yeah. uh, sleep in my own bed. I, I came from Vancouver last night. I'm, I'm, I'm commuting to Vancouver right now. I've just got some stuff out there, but um, this is my hometown, basically. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Springbank, which some people call Sperm Bank, but... Right. We got one spermer here. Uh, when my parents moved us out there, like... I think it was 1970, there was nobody out there. Um, I mean, you couldn't go Halloweening. It was impossible. Right. You go to one but place, now you're it's, done. But now it's, uh, the city has just, it's everywhere. But you guys know that. It's just, Calgary is so spread out. Yeah. And there's just all these neighborhoods. I mean, I drive around here and I'm like, I have never seen that neighborhood. It right. popped up last week. There's like, they've built a lake. They have their own Costco. This is... And you've never moved. You've never, you've mm. always been in Calgary. I have. Did you ever have like the inkling to be like, I'm gonna go to Los Angeles or I'm gonna go to No, no Naomi, come I, on. I really, really don't. Um, I think uh, it's just an incredibly vibrant city. It's young. I mean, having said that, I do live about 45 minutes west of the city, so I'm not in town a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I usually go to Cochrane for my groceries or Bright Creek, which is really fancy. 
And uh, yeah, but I, I just love it here. My family is here. They're all dead now, but mostly it's okay. Uh, but yeah, just slowly, you know, and my brother's in jail. It's really just me. I'm very right. alone. I mean, you've painted yourself into this place, right? Yeah. I mean, it's really, but you have the city, you kind of leave that charmed life where you have a life in the city if you want it. But then you have this beautiful For property sure. where you can just be at peace. And Absolutely. And I still travel about 250 days a year. Right. So, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's what you get used to. And, yeah, that's part uh, of your makeup, right? Well, yeah, and, and music, having, having a creative life, as most people know, that are in the arts, which is you included. I mean, you have to go where the people go. I mean, I would love to have a Vegas residency, but there's no one that would come there to see me. Um, like when you say I have, like I, in well, Vegas? I have eight American fans, but it's not going to fill the Coliseum <laughs> night after night. I don't know. So, so you just go. You just go where the people are. And, yeah. And the more things that I do, the more time that I spend away from home. But I really like it. And until I don't like it, um, and I just think you know that, then, yeah. I'll, then I'll stop. Did you, like, even when, like, you never had the pull? Did you have your manager agents being like, come, you have to go to L.A. now? Because you were on Ellen. You had, like, a little bit of a foot in there. Oh, I mean, I did, I did quite a bit of things. The, the 90s, the mid-90s were really extraordinarily exciting. Um, I wish I would have been more prepared um, to experience it. I drank a lot then, so to be honest, it, it is kind of a blur. Mm. Um, and I wish I was lying, but we just kind of all got through it, just kind of being high, not on drugs, but just drinking a lot. Yeah. And, but I did all those shows, like Regis and Kathy and Good Morning America and Leno and Letterman and all those stuff. Rosie. It, it was <clears throat> Rosie, I think I did. <clears throat> so it was like a crazy three years, and I was actually profoundly unhappy because... Um, I had a manager at the time that was ill-equipped. It was not malicious or anything like that, but they just couldn't handle it. really came at us quickly. Right. And I didn't know what to expect. I'd been in the bars for 15 years. I was 30 years old when I signed yeah. a record deal. So I was just turning 30. So I, I was like, is this what this is like? And when Insensitive took off, I really didn't come home for three years. Wow. So, But, but it, it's, not, it's, not, it's never what you think it's going to be, and I think that was the biggest surprise. So is it now what you think it was going to be? Yes, very much so. I think I, I, I really do enjoy it so much. I love the people that I work with. Yeah. Um, I love trying different things that a lot of them I, I'm not great at, but I like, like, I like, like doing them. We're, we're all watching Jan, and I have to tell you, I, watched, I binge watched it. Um, it's pretty easy. Barnsley sent me the It's like six episodes. It's like, was that <laughs> on? Did it, is it over? What was I saying? Okay, so the vision of what, like when you started out, did you have a vision of where you are now? God, no. I wish we could peek around the corner once in a while. Do just you? Just so we didn't feel so desperate and so scared, but you can't. I think I'd still be desperate and scared. I'd still be like, ah, oh, sneak is careful. Like, I, oh, I, I don't break again that thing. I break things all the time. I, I really think that... Um, just the getting here has been extraordinarily fun. It's been educational. I, you know, I often think, and all of us do, I wish I would have known more about myself when I was in my 20s and my 30s. Um, now I feel, you know, and I've said this many times, if you're not beside me, get out of my way. Mm. And I think there's a lot of power that I have um, come into. Really, my mid-40s, I felt the momentum. I kind of felt it started to roll forward that when I had projects that I wanted to tackle or things that I wanted to do, 
I felt like I was heard mm -hmm. when I went into offices. So, I mean, I'm really a business woman. You are. More than anything, and I think in order to have a successful creative career, certainly in this country, you have to be a business person. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because you have, you have, it feels like you have different personas, like one that's really funny and jokey on stage, one in music, which is uh, deep and poetic, and then like a business strength that I don't think people expect. Do you find that? Maybe, I mean, I don't, I don't know what they think of me. I really don't. I, I, um, I, the only reason that I'm even sitting here today, I think, is because of relationships that I've forged over the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. And if you don't think that they're important, you are really missing something intrinsically important to moving forward in your life period. I am, I'm working with people now on the Jan show that I worked with 25, 26, 27 years ago in the music business. Really? So when you have relationships, you, you, it would behoove you to have good ones and to be authentic and to be transparent and to do things that you say that you're going to do, which is, I've always been that way. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it. And that has served me very well. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, like a ton, things that I regret profoundly, but the relationships have been key to everything that I've done. Um, and just knowing people that it's a small country, like we crisscross, yeah. and you know it too. Um, you know, the guy that is the head of the Juno Committee now, his name is Alan Reed, he signed me to my record deal 27 years ago. Right. And so I'm working with him constantly in the Junos, right. like doing the Junos. So all these things are so entangled. Is it strange for you to add um, actor to your list of things that you do? Yeah, I don't, I don't particularly think I'm, I'm good at acting, but I'm going to get better. <laughs> I, I, uh, but we it's think not that's... a stretch, like I'm not playing, I'm not, it's not Hedda Gabler. Like I'm not doing... The fact doing... that you can reference Hedda Gabler well, is extraordinary. I, went to, I took theater in college okay, here for we go. about get... two weeks. What were you studying in college? I was a drama person. Did you person. do Hedda Gabler? Well, they did. I, 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 didn't, I wasn't successful at that, no. I did not get a part. Wasn't there just one part in Hedda Gabler? Wasn't no, there was, the it was Hedda Gabler and then, um, and then the, the little lady. <laughs> That's not her name. And Let's I, go I, with I, little lady. Iborg? It's Ibsen, right? So they're yeah. all like, um, anyway, there's like the strength of Hedda Gabler and then there's the daintiness of the little lady that I can't remember. They did Harvey too, the big rabbit. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, God, we were good. But, okay, I, but I, so I didn't you ask long, but, genes but I'm just playing a very weird version of myself. And that was kind of an 11th hour thing. CTV, God love them, when they greenlit the project, it was called something completely different. It was called, I can't even remember, I think it was called Will You Remember Me or something like that. And I was like Lynn Schmaltz. I don't know what my name was, but I wasn't me. <laughs> Lynn Schmaltz and, is pretty but good. The premise was basic the same. It was a singer-songwriter. There, there, was, there was things that were in place. Yeah. And obviously they were letting us go forward and giving us some seed money to start writing it. And when we you know, were just about halfway through the writer's room, they just said, you know, um, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but we want to call it Jan. And, and I was like, you? holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> because I just felt like, I don't, I don't know, I just thought it was very weird. Well, and it's hard because the crossover, like people watch the show going, I guess that's Jan, aren't Well, they you? think I live in this house, which I don't. Like, it's a fictional show right but it's, it's called a fictional Jen, show like I, I don't I mean I don't I never have sex with anybody and on this show I'm just like 
I'm out there just giving her. Like I'm making them, I'm, I'm making them write shit in for me this year. It's like uh, living your best Fingers dream. crossed we'll get to do it again, but I'm telling you, every episode is just gonna be me under someone. I think right. that's. But is that weird then people who see you now, like they go, oh, that must be her, so she might must I don't be know that what way they to think, her sister. But I have never had more middle-aged men talking to me in my life. <laughs> I, I just, I'm so, I've, I've had, I mean, I've had a myriad beautiful gay men support me my entire career. Like, they have been the crux of my success, I'm sure. But I, um, when the show aired, like, within, you know, a day or so, I just had middle-aged men coming up to me. And I'd like, there's a guy walking towards me right now. Do I run? What is happening? And they just are like, I watch your show, it's really fun. I, I am so, I didn't think that would be who would watch it. Right. But the numbers were so crazy. Yeah, it was like number one. You were um, number one in Canadian TV. It was, it's just been a fantastic experience and the writers are amazing and I've loved it. And what I've loved more about it, when, when this kind of came across my table of that it was a possibility to do something like this, first thing that came out of my mouth, no word of a lie, God strike me dead, um, was I'm doing it in Calgary. And if I can't do it in Calgary, I don't want to do it. And I thought it would go away. <laughs> I thought, that's, that was your... that's not going to happen. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we've never, had a, we've never had Calgary as an actual character in a, in a sitcom. I'm like, Are, is this English? Like... <laughs> and so, they, so we went there. And then I wanted a character that had Alzheimer's because my mom was going through that. And that got past the line. Like, everything got through. So it is really a testament to the people at CTV, um, who the president of CTV, I worked with 20 years ago. I worked with him for almost 18 years at Universal Records. He was the president of Universal. So all these things, right. it's, you know, is there anybody, I, I absolutely had an advantage. Is there anybody on the team that you're like, I don't want that guy on the team because he was real bad to me on the tour of 1994. No. Not so far. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't really have any, um, I don't really have too many people that I've had a contentious relationship in my life. Right. I've been lucky that way. But I try and solve problems as they arrive, or in, you know, in my doorway, I try and solve them. So was it scary stepping into that? Oh, it's terrifying. But you have to know that nobody knows that you're scared. Well, if they were in my pants. No. <laughs> they it, It's but very it's true, right? Like we look at you and I just think it's interesting cuz we see we all obviously see different versions of how we see ourselves. But I see you on stage. I remember seeing you live in Victoria. It was an outdoor concert. Thousands of people and I remember thinking like Were there boats in the harbor? Yeah. Oh my god, that was a long long time I ago. Know. Yeah, that was a long time ago. A girl named, I think, Tara McLean opened the show, and she's so terrific. Um, she's got kids that are in their 20s now and stuff, so time has certainly gone by. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Time. But, but, but yeah, you, I was, no, no, uh, you, you, a child. You, you were. You were six or seven. Yeah, thank you. But uh, I mean, I remember that show. I remember that show. Yeah. Music's a different thing. Music, I, I don't, um, I'm, I'm still very frightened going out on stage and performing. I get anxious. That never goes away. Like before you sing? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I get really anxious. But it, it goes away. Once you get out there and start, and start singing, it, it's, uh, it alleviates a bit. Yeah. 
But um, I had a guy, a, a Calgary actor named Tom Carey, who without him I couldn't have done the show. He, we ran lines. I mean, I was peeing. He was running lines. I was, yeah. you know, getting dressed. We were running lines. He'd come to my house on weekends. We'd run lines. We'd work three days ahead. It was my biggest hurdle is, was worrying about learning lines. Because yeah. then you can't play. Because I'm not an, I really, I'm not an actor. And I have such a, an amazing appreciation for those. I don't know how you did Mr. D. I don't know how you guys committed all that to memory and did that. I don't know how you did it. It's, it's, it's terrifying. Well, ours, if you, it wasn't, when we rehearsed, it was just filmed. So it wasn't like, you didn't really have any time between like action and recreation of something. So we, things always changed and it was very fluid. But that's fun. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, if you know your lines like you did, you can play. Like, you can do the physical stuff that you did. But it's so, like, it's a dream role for you to have created that for yourself. And the fact that you're scared of what you created for yourself, it shocks me. Oh, I, I mean, I, I, it's what keeps me, I think, involved in the arts and in creating things. I'm not afraid of failing, which is uh, a huge bonus. Yeah. I have failed uh, so much, and I'm sure that I will fail more as we go forward, but I, I think good things come out of bad things. How did you get over your fear of failure? Oh, I'm still not over it. I, I worry about it all the time. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, my dad used to always say that, if you're, if you're not failing, you're not trying. And I'm just like, oh my God, just let me eat my pork chop. I know. <laughs> let me successfully eat my pork chop. He was a guy, of a, he had so many slogans. He was one of those slogan guys, yeah. you know? You know, you'd be 16 heading out the door to go to a party, and he'd, you know, the last thing you'd hear is the door was just about shutting. Don't bend over, bend down. And you'd think, what, what does that even mean? We have so And then many... my mother would go, Daryl, for God's sakes. My dad used to say, I... have a good time. In the groin, Naomi, in the groin. Like, kick him in the groin if he attacks Oh, me. I thought, for your groin to no. be... That's where you like, put what? it, you know? No, no. He was, there was a picture of a self-defense woman. She was punching one guy in the crotch and grabbing the other attacker with her other hand. Oh, no, and kicking one guy. You sure that and wasn't that, Tinder? Because that... It was early Tinder. It was when early. Tinder was pages in a newspaper. And so that was what I was, like, kick him in the groin, sneak us. So do you, now your parents, like, they, they, are, they aren't seeing this stage of your life. No, they're, my, my dad passed away three years ago and my mom just passed away in December. Yeah. But I mean, they, they saw a lot of it. And my mom, my, I didn't have stage parents. They, they were really amazing people. I think they were very frightened about me. You know, I was this kid living in the prairies and I went to a really small school. There was like 42 kids in my school, right. graduates, 42 graduates. And I think they just worried about me being disappointed. But um, they also cheered me on. Well, you're just as good as Anne Murray. I mean, if that's not a vote of confidence, I don't know what is. Yeah, and they just always supported me. Like, I, if I came, when I started getting some success, obviously they were very thrilled and, um, you know, they'd come out and see me at the Jube or something if we were going through town. But I remember, like, ten years ago I said, Mom, you know, we're coming through town again. Do you want to come and see the show? And she didn't answer me right away. She's like, well... Well, is it, the, is it similar to last time? Because I, we don't need to see that again. <laughs> yeah. But she didn't mean it mean. She was no. just like, don't waste the tickets on us, for God's sakes. Right. And, uh, you know, they were just like, we're happy that you were a singer. And we wouldn't, even, we wouldn't care if you were a plumber. And actually, if you were a plumber, we could probably use that more than a singer around here. <laughs> Now, a plumber who can sing, that's where the that, money is. That's where the money is. You know, they, they were really, they were very good, and they had a lot on their plate. Yeah. Did you, um, 
I feel it because my mom has dementia. We've spoken about this I know. A I'm bit. so sorry. You're in well, the midst of it. Does she, she, does she know who you are? Um, I, I think so. Like, it's such an interesting journey, and you dove into that world of um, fi and exposing your Well, you don't have much choice. It's either you dive in or you, you just suffer, you know, yeah. profoundly. I mean, you have to get in there. And yeah. You, I mean, but exposing yourself and you're online, Just too. Just speaking like, about it. Well, people were helpful to me, too, for yeah. sure. Mom, my mom, um, she has aphasia, so she, it, it happened, like, fast. I remember reading something you wrote and saying how fast it suddenly was there. Mm -hmm. And so now, like, she'll recognize me. She doesn't have any motor skills, but she'll recognize me So still. she can't move much? No. Oh, God. But she's still, I don't know, like, I know I'm a very positive person, but I do see it as not the worst thing. Like, she's not in pain. Mm -hmm. I can still hold her. I can still like tell her I love her. And my father sees her every day and sort of in a way he's kind of paying back for the time that she looked after him. Sure. This is but, what we hope for, right? Yeah. Like in he's sickness there for and her. health. You 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 don't bail on somebody. Yeah. And she knows that she's loved. So it's not the worst, you know? Like I I uh, I wish I had my old mom back for sure. I know. But you miss it, right? I still can't remember my old mom yet. Really? They say they say it comes back, but I I dealt with it for about 10 years, and it was such a different version of her. I mean, lots of funny stuff. Yeah. I mean, she went through periods where she could be quite funny. She went through about 18 months where she was quite combative, and that was the scary, when that was, was a scary uh, few, yeah, a year and a half that she was just, she just wasn't uh, compliant at all. There was a part of her that she just didn't, I don't want these homeless people in the house, and I don't, God damn it, you son of a bitch. I hope you get Alzheimer's. I hope you lose your license, God damn it. Right. And that was like, I just would stand in the driveway dumbfounded. And then it went away. Yeah. It, it just it went away. But she was always very positive. I mean, the one thing about someone with Alzheimer's, like my mom, she's like, wanted something to do. And I feel a little guilty about this, but I often had my home vacuumed and mopped several times a day. Because, so But she wanted to do it. Yeah. I said, do you want to mop? I'd love to. <laughs> and, but, I, I mean, purposeful. it was only one spot usually. Like it would just, it, would, it was like a Roomba that had gone mad. Right. It was just, yeah. just bumping into a corner and just staying there and you're like, oh God. Yeah. What did she do for a living before? My mom was, she was a homemaker, but she did lots of jobs. She worked at an egg farm. She, um, she went uh, to Mont Royal College and took some night classes. But for 15, 16 years, she was a dental assistant um, in Mayfair Place, which is just on Glenmore. And she basically saw an ad in the paper that said dental assistant, you know, they wanted a dental assistant. This would have been 1973 or 74. And she waltzed in there and she goes, I have absolutely no experience, but I'm sure interested in making a little bit of money. <laughs> and he hired her. I don't even know if that's legal. <laughs> like, I, it was in the 70s, apparently, you had to have no training to be in dentistry, which I like. Right. It opens up the playing field. But she, uh, she was the suction person for our teeth my whole life. Wow. That sounds like how you dove into jam. Like, I have yeah. no experience, but I'm going to dive into this. Yeah, but I surrounded myself with really good writers, yeah. really good people. Yeah. And I, I kept it very close to the bone, obviously. I thought, what, what is my kind of skill set? So it is a musical story. It's a riot to do. I think Calgary looks fantastic. No, it's fantastic. Um, you had the, my first laugh on, I finally understand this song. Yeah. And that's like three minutes into the show. Yeah, they're, they're uh, letting me use my, my, uh, my music in it and yeah, stuff like great. that. So was great but I think 
she's such a terrible person. Like, but do you feel like you have uh, to post that? Like, that part wasn't me. That no, part wasn't me. I, I, honest to God, even when people ask me about the house, like, I'm like, I don't know. Do I live there? Right. But I don't live Keep there. Keep them guessing. It, it's just, it's just really fun, and um, it's extraordinarily expensive to do these things. Right. So I have to give it to CTV. But there's 150 people that work on the show, and 90 of them are from this city. I'm proud of that. I'm yeah. proud of keeping the arts here. I'm proud of, thank you. And it's important, I, I, a lot of people leave from here. Mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, most asked question, why do you still live there? I'm like, it's a fantastic city. Mm -hmm. It's got more restaurants per capita than any other city in North America. In <laughs> North America, we've got more re per capita, so, you know. It's, it's incredibly, it's, it's just an incredible city, and it's not all about petroleum. It's not all about cattle. And I try and fight that stigma constantly because it's full of some, such good music here. And such theater, great too. young, such great theater, young yeah. songwriters, young actors, you know, directors, producers, graphic artists. And, uh, you know, I thought, yeah, it's easier to do at Toronto. I was very coerced to do it, you know, you know, we have a built-in, mm -hmm. everything's here, and I'm like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. So... Do you feel responsible for building up your community? Absolutely. I think have you always felt sense. that way? Yeah, I think but so. Even when you were, like, before... Um, Not before. Came out? I was too young. So I was too young to, to know. Like, your goals at that point were just, like, let's get my... Self-preservation. Yeah. And um, now, you, you know, there was... There's just no question for me that in order to have uh, an artistic community and to support it and nurture it, you have to be in amongst it mm -hmm. and bring things here. And, um, you know, there's... Alberta could do a lot better. They could, they could get more things here. There's tax credit problems. There's all sorts of little things that make other provinces more enticing, and that's the truth of it. Um, we could do things better. So I'm going to try and advocate for that as well. Mm -hmm. Like, people are asking me now, what can we do to get them here? And I'm like, well, you need to do this, this, and this. So it's great to have a voice where they're listening to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just speaking. I'm, I'm telling you because I'm do, trying to do this. Yeah. And um, but we'll see. Where, where it, I, I feel very optimistic about this province, about where we're headed. I think... Um, I think there's a, a really amazing community here. Did you find when you were heading into your production that you were, um, I'm a big self-sabotager, are you? I don't think so. Did you just have your eye on the prize and be like, I'm I didn't. I didn't worry about any of the periphery. I, I just thought, well, I'll just do the best I can. Yeah. And I felt like the scripts were solid. Yeah. I could, you know, when we did uh, the table read, I mean, I'm just learning this stuff. I couldn't have told you a table read from my nipple okay. uh, a year ago. <laughs> well, and, uh, but I, I remember read. being around this table with, uh, it was some industrial building in, in, by uh, Chinook. We were, we were huddled in there and all the actors that we had hired were around the table and we read these scripts and, you know, we just laughed our asses off yeah. because it, when other people were saying these words, it was just, it really came to life. Feels like a good meeting when there's been laughter. It really does. If yeah. no one laughed, I think, you know, we may have had a problem. <laughs> but I, I like the adventure of trying new things. You know, I, I love music. It'll always be at the foundation of everything that I do. But I think creative people create. There's no end to things that I want to do badly. Is there, is there something that you have on the horizon that you're like, okay, that's, 
that's a risk, and I know it's going to take some gumption. Um, I really hope to do this show, you know, fingers crossed for six or seven or eight years. I'd love to have the success that Mr. D had. I think that is such a great template to look at Canadian television right. and a successful Canadian television. You guys did it right. Yeah. Well, and just to be fair, it wasn't me <laughs> at all. Well, but it I was mean, Jerry and like, but it like was, Wolfe. But it was, it was, it was the actors. It was yeah. the cast. You it put was together great all cast. you guys that made it work. But I mean, I'd, I'd, there's lots of stuff that I'd like to try. I, I, uh, you know, I'm running out of time. There's only so much of it. Do you feel that? I do. I, I Did, feel like I'm running always, out of time a little bit. Because you have a heart thing still. Like you have a heart. Uh, what's it called? A broken heart. Oh God! Is that? Am I telling you a health no, thing you don't know about? No, no. What you mean? My 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 actual physical heart. Yes. I, I've had heart problems since I was a kid. Right. I had a pacemaker for 17 okay. years. I know what I'm talking about. Don't get no, scared. No, I just thought. Have I been in a relationship that I, <laughs> have I fucked somebody over that I don't? Uh, Daryl, come on out. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know, but we've lined up all your past Yeah, lovers. oh God. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. welcome. <laughs> and it's the audience. <laughs> Lights up, please. Welcome. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be a nightmare? Can you imagine? I mean, the audience would have two people for me, but maybe for No, you. no. Yeah, it would. I, have not, I haven't had a busy life. No. We, we, we would. There'd, yeah. <laughs> but I, it, but my, did that make that? Because my how old were you? My heart's doing pretty. I, was, uh, I started having problems when I was just a kid, like nine or ten years old. So but that I made you aware of yes. like, longevity. For sure. I mean, I really thought I was told. When I got the pacemaker at 20 years old, I thought things were over. And the pacemakers were so big, they were like the size of a hockey puck back right. then, like 82. And I remember getting it. And they sent me to these um, like support groups after I got the pacemaker. And it was all like 80-year-old people. It was just me sitting there with 80-year-old people. Right. And they just wanted me to get them snacks and mints. <laughs> and you're like, no problem. And ask me questions. But I mean, it does. It makes you acutely aware. Yeah. And I... I, I mean, that's uh, not what most nine, ten-year-olds are thinking about, right? They're thinking about sticker collections and Barbies, and you're like, oh, I have a heart that might stop one, at one point. Yeah, no, it, it's still going. I got the pacemaker taken out um, when I was 37 or 38, and um, I'm on a medication now, but it really was misdiagnosed. They didn't know what to do. I had an extremely slow resting heart rate. Right. And then as I got older, I would, I've had this like nine or ten times. I haven't had it for three years, thank God, but um, my left ventricle, extreme stress, too much drinking. There was a lot of things that led to it. I don't drink anymore, but you know how you push things, you push things, you push sure. things until you absolutely have to change. That's, that's my personality. But I, my left ventricle would like blow up and I'd be hospitalized for like at least a week. Right. And um, they would just wait for it to come down. They, they're not sure what it is, but like a, a, a spasm in an artery. They're really still not sure what it is, but I'm pretty sure it's lifestyle. I'm pretty sure there's always a cause and effect of things that you do. Yeah. So I've been sober almost three years. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So the, this limited time feeling. But I'm drunk now. <laughs> no. no, it's the best thing I ever did. It's the toughest. I tried to quit for many years. Yeah. And uh, what was the I, thing I slowed that... down when I hit 50. I'm like, I need to reel this in. And then I had another couple of heart things from 50 to like 53. And then I just finally packed it in. Yeah. So. It's almost like your body was like, no, seriously. No, seriously. Yeah, this I know. Is... I feel very fortunate that this TV show would never have happened. I wouldn't have been 
together enough and yeah yeah it's interesting because it feels like like having uh, an addiction to alcohol or having any kind of addiction there it's sort of like a secret right it's a secret that you're holding to yourself and you're such a honest and authentic person that that must have been really in conflict it seems to like did you find that well I just didn't think it was that big of a problem um, until I well in the industry that I'm in and this was my way of validating my behavior or condoning my own behavior is that everybody was doing it that's what I always thought right you know um, but for me having six or seven or eight drinks five days a week seemed normal and I would count them like I always thought that was normal and I was quite a binger on my own mm -hmm. um, I don't know why I think my dad handed me addiction like you know I, I think I wrote it down once like a $20 bill yeah and he was an alcoholic my entire life. The irony of, you know, living with an alcoholic like he was, my mom was a saint, she really was, I don't know how she dealt with it, but because of his alcoholism, I became a songwriter. So there's things in life that you, you're privileged if you live long enough to look back um, in order to escape his wrath because he was very unpredictable. Uh, when you're a kid and you have an alcoholic, parent that's unpredictable. It's a terrible way to live your life. It's like walking the razor's edge all the time. My mom telling me, don't bring kids over. You know, we don't know how your dad's going to be. And we never knew if we were going to get cheery dad, dad that hands you to the $10 bill, or we were going to get the dad that, you know, grabbed your ear and, and twisted you down, or, you know, smashed your food plate off the yeah. table, or it, there was no rhyme or reason to it. But because of that, I went into the basement, and I could hear this rage, this storm going on about me, my mom's high-pitched voice and my older brother fighting with him. And I just put records on. There was a record player down there. My mom had a guitar in the corner. I was maybe 10 years old, and so it begun. And I spent hours and hours and hours. And lo and behold, I didn't particularly find music all that interesting, really quite young. But when I picked up my mom's old guitar and listened to these records, and when I started figuring out guitar, I immediately started making up songs, and I haven't looked back. So how do we navigate our lives? Good things come out of bad things. It was yeah. because of his alcoholism that I was put into a position which brings me to this place now. So they're unavoidable, these obstacles. I think parents now remove obstacles too often for their kids. They remove right. harm out of their way. My parents, the biggest fail, you know, they, they let me fail. That's the biggest favor they did for me. Yeah. Well, figure it out. Right. <laughs> well, sew your own arm on. I don't care. You did it. There's a needle and thread in the box. Well, that was stupid, wasn't it? You'll have to figure out how those nerves connect. I don't know. <laughs> By the way, she's also a surgeon, so... Everything, Jan Arden, the surgeon. Just but I mean, just crazy. because your so your father did give you that gift, absolutely. But it doesn't belittle the impact. Like I think sometimes we belittle how it hits us. Do you know? Like, like yeah, you have this great gift because you were in the basement creating things to avoid it. But also, that must have really sucked to be a kid in that place of. But I forgot. I, I forgot about it too. I I didn't. Um, I was I was just I had that kind of nature. I wasn't. I didn't want to have any. Uh, I didn't want to push with him. I, I kind of avoided him. That was how I worked with it. My older brother was in the eye of the storm. He was three years older than me. And 
I don't know, man, I don't know how fathers deal differently with their sons, but my brother was uh, open season for my dad, and he was beaten up, and he was, he was insulted and belittled, and my brother, I mean, when you look at what happens to a human life, my brother's been in jail almost 27 years now because drugs and alcohol, he was charged with first-degree murder in the same month I got my record deal. So I often think about how my parents, lying in bed, navigated that yeah. because it happened. They coincided. Yeah. I got a record deal and my brother went to jail for first-degree murder. So it's, but the way he was treated, and I had music, I had an outlet, he just, he just went to drugs and alcohol. I mean, and it just started small, and then that wave of stuff. I mean, it happens again, too, right? Your mom passes away, and then you have a show. It's like this weird, the universe is sort of giving you everything to take at the same time. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have the show, I mean, it's probably helped you grieve, in a way, because you're sort of present in her story. Yeah, no, she, you know, I have no words that were left unsaid with my mom. Oh, that's I, amazing. You know, I really appreciated her so much. She was my biggest champion. You know, I don't know why you don't show your arms. There is nothing <laughs> wrong with your arms. She was just one of Didn't those. Somebody parents. told me a story about how a manager, <laughs> a manager told you uh, said something about your weight. Well, I was insensitive. Had just broken. Yeah. I was at some kind of a big number one party thing, blah, 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 in L.A., and I, I got a ride home with the president of A&M Records, that was my label in the States, and he says, I'll drive you home. It was, it was nothing, it was not a weird story. He just, I'm going to give you a ride home. He was a big man, 300-pound man. He literally was having a cognac and smoking a cigar in a limousine, and he looked over at me, and, you know, he's like, you know, Jan, you're 30 pounds away from superstardom in this country. And um, I just, I didn't even know what to say. He dropped me at the hotel. I ran upstairs. I mean, this is 25 years ago. And I phoned my mom collect, because that's what you did in those days. Phones hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> but she invented them. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom, I got her, my mom on the phone. And um, they were so excited that they got a collect call for me from L.A. And I told her the story. And she goes, well, why didn't you tell him you didn't want to gain any more weight? <laughs> I love that story so much. <laughs> right? Having a champion like that in your corner. Do you, do you see um, yourself being changed since her passing? Yeah, I think I'm a much better version of myself. Oh, yeah? I think, um, I mean, we die. We, we die. And my mom was always very cavalier about talking about it. And she was so unafraid of it. Because I, I asked her years ago, I said, you guys need to tell me what the hell I'm supposed to do with you. Like, what am I supposed to do with you? Well, I don't care what you do with me, but I don't want to be buried. I'm like, well, that's that option, that's right. gone. And uh, she thought about it for a while, and she said, I wouldn't mind a choir. But she was like, and I'd say, are you scared of dying, Mom? Why in the hell would I be scared of dying? I'm not even going to know. <laughs> that came through my head when I was standing by her bed. She was quiet very different than my dad. My dad was like a raging bull. He didn't want to leave. He just, he, was, he just fought it for days and days. It was so agonizing for everybody there. But my mom was quiet. She was unafraid. She just, she just looked like, I'm tired out. 
I'm ready to roll, but I felt so well prepared for going forward. I'm very fearless that way. I'm not, I'm not afraid of being told no. I'm not afraid of having to rethink myself. And it has everything to do with my mom. She was just, I mean, even with sexuality, my mother looked at me as a teenager. And I remember having this conversation because I had boyfriends, I had girlfriends. I mean, I, I, we never talked about it. I just thought they kind of assumed what was going on. And, and I, I was brokenhearted. I can't remember about what, but I had broken up with this girl. And my mom, she just knew that I was, you know, not doing great. And, and she looked at me and she said, you know you're a completely normal person, right? You're a completely normal person. And don't let anyone ever steal that from you. There's nothing wrong with you. We never talked about it again. She, anyone that I brought home, I mean, over the years, the gamut of, okay, you know, well, relate. I, but I'm just, I, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about sex. Okay. I'm talking about people that came in and out of the house and, you know, the relationships that I did have. My parents, both my parents were so fair. And it gave me a platform that has been something that has profoundly um, given me so much strength mm -hmm. going forward. I think when I walk into a room and do any kind of business with anybody, they know full well that it's not going to be some kind of a pushover, that I have my wits about me and that I know what I want, but that has come with time. I think I just became a person like four months ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, are you serious about I'm that? serious. Like, my it, mom died and I thought, now I'm a person. Because when why? She what went, was the final piece? I think I was the caregiver for so long yeah. that I, I really put things aside. I set lots of things aside. I was working on the television show all through my mom's illness, like the last couple of years. I think it took us three years to get, get it to, you know, where we were actually filming it. But when my mom died, I just, I knew I'm a, I'm a person now. I, I know that that sounds lofty. I don't mean it to be esoteric, but my, I'm my own person. Like, I remember taking my first flight. I'm going, I have no one to, I'm, I'm not calling anyone. Right. I'm not checking in. I'm not... The only person I'm looking after now is myself. Right. And it felt liberating. And I know my mom, part of why she went was to set me free. You know, she just set me loose. Mm -hmm. It was really, I, I just knew that when she went, I just felt that thing go ting. It's, I was glad I had her as long as I did. She was 82. And she, she always said she was gonna live to be 100. I'm like, well, let's hope that's not true. <laughs> Yeah, she, she was you, so you funny. You dive into those emotions, like uh, even like reading your book um, and watching this show. I, like I knew there was dementia in there, and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for it. Like, you, it seems like you were prepared for all emotional journeys. Um, just I think it's the songwriter in me too. I think you have to be cavalier about it. I don't. I would never write a song, or I would never do anything if I thought about it too long. Um, I just wouldn't. I think people censor themselves too much whenever I speak with young songwriters. They agonize over things and rhyming schemes and structure and, I mean, things that you don't really need to concern yourself. Just get the story down. Mm -hmm. And I think my songwriting is something that has absolutely gone into the prose part of my, my life, the way that I write. Mm -hmm. I don't think about it. I try not to censor myself. And yeah. I don't think I'm being particularly open 
Like I always oh, feel like everybody's doing this stuff. Like you, I mean, even the journey of your mom's passing, you were going through it step by step with your with your public. Mm -hmm. And um, but it I'm, doesn't feel that way. Now, it doesn't. No. What does it feel like? It just then? feels very insular. It just feels like dear diary. But then just you're getting all these comments about like I don't, how I, I don't read them all. No. I mean, I, I I read some of them, but when you have five thousand comments, I mean, I have spent many nights sitting in bed and just crying. Yeah. And people, what they endure, my, my heart just goes out yeah. to them. But there's a million families in Canada dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So I knew that the story was one that was across the board something that touched everyone's lives. So there was a real uh, opportunity to educate and to show, to have a, a character with, with the beginning of Alzheimer's in the show. Yeah. And I thought, it's funny too. It's, it's really, actually funny. I had to laugh. I mean, there is there there has to be comedy. We, you know, my my father gave my mother earrings that he'd given her the year before. <laughs> and That's she, good business. And she called him on it. She was like, "You've given these to me before." Oh. And he's like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> but that's a joke. But I mean, every time I try to write anything, I've I've had like a TV show idea about my relationship with my mom. But it's so here, I can't dive deep in it, but it seems like it's second nature for you. I, I just, I really don't mean it to be. I don't go out of my way to be, um, it just, it just feels like the right thing to do. Yeah, I talk about that more with people than I do anything. Yeah. Like if, you know, getting groceries or something, if people are talking to me, it's like I have a parent with Alzheimer's or dementia and I'm like, where are you at with that? And how long have you been doing yeah. that? We'll have a, a chat about it. I'm, I'm, um, is it ever too much? Is that ever too much? No, I don't mind it. I really, I don't go out that often. Like, I'm out in the sticks. Right. And um, people are unbelievably kind. I mean, imagine making your way, certainly in this country, making your way through your day with people saying your name and people knowing who you are. Like, I've been um, a known person half of my life. Yeah. And I'm, people are very kind to me. They're very good to me. And yeah. people pay my way. They've paid for my house. They pay for my clothes. And that's the truth of it. People pay my way, and a lot of people aren't um, really that gracious about it. Some people don't want to be approached. I, I don't mind it. I, I, I like to. I like people. Yeah. I want to cheer them on. I want them to do well. Yeah. I want them to to find things that they like to do. Um, I think it comes a lot from being insecure, especially in this industry. Now I mean, you know that people somehow think that success is in a box. Yeah. And it's not a box at all, it's a horizon. And because somebody else succeeds doesn't mean that you fail. That is synonymous with being a creative person. There's a lot of narcissism and jealousy and stuff like that. I want nothing to do with it, yeah. nothing. Did you ever have a time that you were, um, that the doubt was outweighing the drive? Never. Never? Mm -mm. There was never a time that you thought, I, maybe But, but, but my goal store. wasn't fame or, or success or anything like that. My goal was to make things. Right. And it still is. Yeah. I still want to make things and do things. I mean, I barely graduated high school. And, you know, people always talk about, you know, writing books or, you know, writing things like that. I wouldn't necessarily call them books. Um, but there's fucking spell check. <laughs> like, Done. really? Yeah. Yeah, there's spell. It's not like, I don't know how to use a semicolon, but somebody does. Right. <laughs> And I'm sure I'll have but an editor have that goes, to. this would be the perfect spot to drop in a semicolon. Yeah. I'm like, let's do it. Do you think? I'd love to try. 
like, I, and I'm a delegator. I, I have people working with me that are fantastic people. Um, my, my friend, my road manager is here with me tonight, Chris. He lives in town as well. And I said, Chris, what are you doing? You come with me uh, to the Grand Theater tonight and meet a bunch of cool people and hang out. And Chris, uh, I hired him when he was 21 years old. He's just turned 36. Right. And he travels the world with me. And he's, I mean, where he started and where he is now, it's, uh, it's incredible. But I've, I just, I have good people. I have people that have worked with me for, you know, a long, long time. Yeah. What's the thing that's out of balance for you? I don't know. I, I, we live in precarious times, but I suppose they've been saying that for the last 100,000 years of human life. <laughs> you know, the political climate is unnerving. I take it to bed with me. I think everybody does. Yeah. I worry about women's reproductive rights. I worry about the tone of the government that seems to sweep across our country sometimes that aren't really that conducive to art and, and the artistic community. Um, I worry about, you know, Alberta in, in those terms a lot because this is where I've made my home. And mm -hmm. I think it's a lot of people lift eyebrows and they think, wow, that's where we're at. But where do you put those concerns? I just try to just do what I do and and, yeah. uh, and keep believing in, in the province and, and making sure that if I can have bring work here and help in some way, I don't think we're doing anything. It's one thing to have an opinion and just throw all these ideas out there, but I think you have to actually act on those things Yeah, yeah. and stay. I have no intention of leaving here. I, I love where I live, and whenever I travel home, I'm like, thank God I'm back here. It's good people. Good, it's a good place. Yeah. Um, do you, you're like, you really are one of the most naturally funny people I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. All right. Where do you need to go, Mitty? Okay. <laughs> Why don't you just bring a baby out? Why don't you just have a baby out? This is ridiculous. Oh, you my go God. See. It's not even real. You go see, everybody. I'll tell you, I would not have made it through. Hi, and buddy. this sounds so silly, but I don't care. I wouldn't have made it through the last five years without that dog. I get it. How old is she? She's 10. Rufus is 15. Oh, it's so hard. I have a big farm dog that was my mom and dad's. Yeah. And uh, she's not great. I, th I think we have a few more weeks. We're going to eke that out. But her name is Belle. She's 13. We were doing really good. She has diabetes, and she can't see great. But uh, she's got cancer now. She's got, it's, it's in the shoulder. Um, and they offered me the uh, option of uh, an amputation. Yeah. But I'm like, ah, she's too old to put her through that. So we'll, she'll let us know. She'll let us know what's going on. But I, honest to God, I don't know what I would have done without this dog. Oh. Um, she's, she's, <laughs> she's... It's the tongue, so right? <laughs> well, she has no teeth. So this, this breed is quite like synonymous for having dental things. So about six years ago, they're not laughing at you, they're laughing with you. Don't, I, okay. 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 And they're just like they pulled out thirty-six teeth. She's got oh she's god. got three teeth left, and God, she can use those teeth. Oh my god! But That's she's nice. a really good flyer. She's yeah. She's snuck into the greatest. She's been on. Well, we didn't do the train so successfully, did we, Mitty? Uh, Rufus, um, the first time on the plane, did not make it five hours. What ha What did you do? It was rough. It was real rough. Barking, barking. 
oh god i wish it was him starting to oh. shake and i was like oh no and my husband was like you're just gonna have to hold it buddy i'm like i don't think dogs know the command hold it so then did he poo all over uh. the place so he did this poo that started on one end and like he had diarrhea and it was awful and my husband had given him a bone the night before who does that so luckily I had, got, I don't know why, but I had a bunch of paper napkins. So I kind of blackjacked it and I <laughs> went like this and he pooped like right along it. And then I we like- used that blackjack? <laughs> I did this. I put it in a bag where I had like some old snacks and I put it like this. The guy next to us was, had so much ax on that nobody smelled anything. <laughs> it was like, and the stewardess came along, she's like, oh, did he poop? All right. And no, no whisper of a word. I was just like, oh God, oh God, we're never going to fly again. She's, she's such a good flyer. She cried once. She was about 10 weeks old and she cried like all the way from Calgary to Toronto, Toronto yeah. to Nashville, and then she never cried again. She just, she sleeps and yeah. she does really well. But yeah, I, I think pets are important. And I wasn't a small dog person. Um, I think pets are so important. Yeah, I just sort of got her by default. And uh, Did you we, see a change? Like, did you see your heart change? Oh when my you God, her? absolutely. Yeah. I just, I realized just how much I really didn't like people that much. Right. <laughs> Wait, are you kind of serious about that? Well, because you I'm live a, alone. I, some people can be, I, I mean, I'm not alone as much as I'd like to be, to be honest. Right. I just like, I feel like I'm just never alone uh, enough. But I'm, uh, I, I'm not really ready for relationship stuff. I did the math with girlfriends who we were sitting around one night, you know. My friend's husband was making us dinner and we were, we were having a nice time and then we started all talking about the lengths of relationships and how many and you kind of do that and I'm like, oh my God. But the thing that came out of it for me is that I had not been alone, not even for like a breather for 28 years. Wow. Just, yeah, just one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Yeah. And I think that was very much to do with my work and everything. I just didn't, you know, I, it was always, I don't know. I can't even explain it. And I'm still not ready for anything like that. I've been single for three and a half years, and it's the best thing I've ever done. Um, Could you be single forever? No, I'm, it's not my nature. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm better with somebody. And um, I don't know what that even looks like for me at this point. Um, being sober, too, has kind of put a different uh, slant on things. Yeah. I don't know what it looks like. I don't, I try not to Are think about it. Are you nervous about it? I'm super nervous about it. I am nervous about it. But then it. that's fun because you like being scared, right? <laughs> Wait, this is fun, isn't it? Yeah. Aren't you having a good time with I, that I think fear? it's so different from, from uh, music. I don't know. I don't know how, what that even looks like. So if you painted a picture, I'm not trying to give you nightmares, but if you painted a picture about something that actually scared you for realsies, what would it, what would it look like? I don't like heights. No. At all. And um, I don't, I just, I'm scared of, I, I'm not claustrophobic, but my, one of my biggest fears is being, <laughs> God, should I even tell people this? I mean, it's too related. Well, it's not it's even late. that it's bad. Just us. No, it's, it, We're just I, it won't happen it. here because we don't have a lot of earthquakes, but being on like the fourth level of a parking arcade in an earthquake and all the concrete comes down. Yeah. But I am, I'm still alive, but I'm in just a little, place with air in a thing. That, that's my biggest, I do have nightmares about that. Right, that is, that's uh, now one of mine. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's, you're so funny. If you rub her tummy, that's, that's it. Her and I are the same that way. Like at, at parties, I usually just- Come here, buddy. <laughs> um, we have some time uh, to go to the audience to oh ask Oh my God, is that gonna happen? If, uh, if you'd like. I'm gonna ask another question just to give you time to think about it. Yeah. But I know you're also a painter. 
No, well, not really. I love it. I do it just for charities, and okay. I do these nude, nude, bald angel people. And my mom begged me for like for 30 years, would it kill you to put hair on those people? Right. And I do. I just do them really we quickly. Do this charity. But they're, they're really cool. I just do them. I do paintings for charities, and I mean, if they can get a couple hundred bucks for it, I'm really thrilled. And does it does it serve you at all that that art? You just kind of do no, it. No, I as like that it. Thing. I like it. I'm, I'm terrible at it. I, I usually don't use more than three colors. Uh, it's too hard to blend, and uh, that, that takes some real talent, but I, I like doing it, and I, I mean, I've done uh, hundreds of paintings over the years, but when people can raise three or four hundred bucks, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I mean, What's something that you're not good at that you want to get better I'm at? I'm not good, I'm not good at a lot of things. No, like, much, I'd like to be a much better writer. Okay. Um, and I always want to well, be... you're in the writer a, room I, for a jam. I always want to be a better uh, songwriter. Right. Every time I write a song, I think, oh, this is the last one now. I'm never going to write a song again. But, um... Yeah, I just, I think a better person in general. I think I'd like to be more of an activist. I think I'd like to be more cavalier and, and braver about going in there and fighting for things that are really important. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm really looking forward to like the next, you know, God willing that I can be alive for another 20 years. I just want to do things that make a difference with, you know, with young people. And I, I love that. I love seeing young people in the arts. and. I, I try and be as helpful as I can. Yeah. Any any questions out there? Go ahead. Thank you very much for all your music. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, <laughs> fair. I don't play music. That's fair. I'm going to repeat that for because we have a mic. What's, yeah. the, what's your favorite song that means, means the most to you? Oh gosh, I am. Um, there's, there's so many songs that mean a lot to me, but I think Unloved in particular is a song that uh, I've really loved over the years. It was, it was a, I wrote it really late at night, and I was living downtown Calgary. In a is little... it cool that Mitty's just gone? Mitty! Oh, yeah, she's there. She's... But yeah, Unloved, I'd say. she. Just have her put down, Chris. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like that's the wrong step. I feel like she just wandered. There she comes. Here. <laughs> she heard you. She heard you. She's like, wait, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Just kidding. I'm not wandering away. Mitty. I, I, we, we, we did this job, and I was in a church. I can't remember what it was for, Chris. I think it was a charity thing, and Mitty was quite young, and I was singing with a trio. I had a couple of my bandmates with me, and it was like a church. It was red carpeting. It was very, it was like very womb-like. Lots of reds and crucifixes, and there was lots of stuff going on. And behind where I was, there was a white carpeting that is, guess, where the choir would be. And I was singing away, and all of a sudden, there was a mumbling going on in the crowd. And she was pooing Awesome. on the white carpet and then pulling her bum across awesome. Awesome. to wipe her bum. <laughs> but, uh, but that's the only time. But yeah, Unloved. And, and yeah, there's just there's so many kind of like album tracks that never really saw the light of day on radio that I, that I always loved. Hanging by a Thread, Hanging by a thread is, a, is, I really love that song. That's about my brother in jail. So... Um, he didn't really care for that song too much. He goes, that's, he says, you're very depressing, but that's super depressing. But it's great. I, I, I play it once in a while on tour. I think I did it a couple, I think I did it last year, maybe. Uh, any other questions out there? Yeah, go ahead, middle. Yeah. 
How does making uh, a TV show work? <laughs> awesome. Settle in, everybody. I'll give you the, the abbreviated version. Um, I have been inundated with television stuff over the last 15 years. It was always very talk show oriented, none of which I was interested in and none of which I could do in Calgary. Calgary was never on the table. If I was going to do something like that, um, the social or something like Marilyn Dennis, or, it was always in that realm. I couldn't do it here. So that went away, and I just thought, well, that's okay. Um, Project 10, one of the producer's names is Andrew Barnsley, and he produces Schitt's Creek. And he knew a mutual friend of ours. And Leah, who is my show creator partner, she's the one that she and I came up with the idea together. Um, she just said, listen, they really want us to come up with some kind of a pitch, like any kind of a TV show. So Leah flew out to my place. We sat at the kitchen table, and we thought, okay, half-hour comedy. I never thought this was going to happen in a million years. I thought, I'll just humor you. Leah's like, let's try it. Let's just do it. It'll be fun. I'm like, okay. And we came up. It was kind of a weird premise. It was, it was still me renting my house out, and there was different celebrities staying there. And, but I was, like I said, a different name. So anyways, we wrote this pitch document. Project 10 took it. Um, they kind of tweaked it in. We then included another writer. Uh, they said, you know, if we're going to do this, you need a showrunner that knows what they're doing. A showrunner does all the technical stuff, how the scripts look, how the, the pitch document looks, how many people are involved. Like, really what the story is, a real concise picture of the story. What is this show about? That's the question. So that took a year and a half of just tweaking that in. We found a writer. We probably talked to 15, 16, 18 different people from L.A. to Toronto to New York. We talked to a lot of different writers. Jenica Harper is a woman from Vancouver, and she was the first person we talked to. Isn't that the way it goes? And we circled back around to Jenica, and uh, then they gave us a little bit of money after they saw the pitch document, enough to get together a writer's room. And it was Lee and Jenica and I. And uh, then we got some outlines done. Then it went back to CTV. Then they gave us a little bit more seed money to expand on the outlines that we had done. So we did six episodes, six outlines. This is what happens in episode one, two, three, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then when they gave us a little bit more money, we hired another three writers, which are still with me now. Um, young, old, one guy. And we just sat and laughed for six weeks in my house. I had the writer's room in my house. Right. And I was out there mowing the lawn and getting hailed on and all this <laughs> shit was going on. And, and then we took it back to CTV. I flew out with the producers, with Leah, my co-creator. And I stood in front of these people at CTV, who I knew very well, talk about relationships again. And I said, this is what I want to do. I want to do it in Calgary, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they greenlit the show for six episodes. It is about a million two to shoot each episode. The money comes from all kinds of different places. It comes from grant money. It comes from lottery money. It comes from the Rogers Fund, it comes from CTV proper, it comes from different government factions. When you look at credits, when a television show rolls, there's 50 different sources. So you gather up 1.2 million for that episode everywhere you can. And then you find a place to, then, then we just got rolling. I went, holy God, now what? Now and we make it. Then you hope it. people watch it. Then you hope people watch it. Which they did in so we, we, yeah, we got really lucky. Yeah. But it's also, I, I had an advantage too because people, I felt like they knew the branding. Yeah. And, and I feel like you've been working to this 
all your and, life. And maybe it is too, maybe it's timing, but it is that, it is, it's the relationships. So, you know, I know a lot of people that have pitched ideas and have done things that haven't been able to make the show. I've pitched but, 200, just to get but don't, some sense I mean, of... don't stop. There's, there's, I mean, I, I just got lucky. And, and, you know, a door can be open for me, but if I don't deliver, like, and this was all a numbers thing, if we would done, had done six episodes and the numbers hadn't been great, I wouldn't have got, you know, the opportunity would have ended. So I just, like I said, it's just really good people. It's funny people. But it's not easy. It is not easy. It's not a easy TV at show, all. Especially in Canada when there's limited networks. And, and limited crews. Yeah. Like we base a lot of our shooting schedule and we will going forward. There's only so many crew people here in Alberta. So we have to fit into other projects that are going on. Thank God. That's a good problem to have. But hopefully what will happen is that it will have a whole new generation of sound techs, of, yeah. you know, props people, of, you know, line producers and assistant directors and all those things. I mean, there's, what, what can't you shoot here? There's nothing. It looks like everything. Yeah. There's no, nothing you can't shoot here. There's no excuse for it. I mean, you've built this brand. Some, I think I saw Michael Bublé said you're either a comedian that, that can sing or a singer that is really funny because you're, like, they're so well-matched. It's like you've been building this just with your persona that you go, of course you should have your own show. Well, I want to see what I saw in between the songs on screen. That's, that's a, a no-brainer. It, it's, it's so fun. I mean, I've, I've uh, had a great time live shows. <laughs> you, you can't, you have to let people, I know my music is kind of somber. I mean, I know that. I'm not Nirvana. Yeah. And Do you I, have any I songs don't... that are like, I have some things happy are great. things. I'm doing fine. Anything but like I that. But I think all my songs are things are great. I'm doing fine. Like I think that's right. at the heart of all my songs. I'm not. I'm not. You're not going to hear me at a rave. Right. I think. Um, I think I'm for personal consumption. I think I'm going to be in your minivan or in your bedroom. I mean, I always took such solace in music that I listened to as a kid growing up. I'd play the same song over and over oh and over. God. And I. My hope was that God. I hope I can write the kind of songs that people just play by themselves and listen to over and over. Under that was June. really, that was my goal. Under June played nonstop in my household. It was, honestly, it's, uh, but the sound, the sound of uh, the blonde being mowed, the smell of geraniums, <laughs> apple polished Revlon lipstick, and your voice, I will always remember, remind me of my mom. Oh. Yeah, always. It's just the vision of her uh, dancing in our living room to uh, your good mother, it was, It'll always be in my mind. It is. Yeah. And, and those are the kinds of things that, you know, push you forward. Mm -hmm. I think my mom will inform me the rest of my life, perhaps even in a bigger way than she did when she was alive. I hear her mm -hmm. constantly, and I have no worries about where she is or the, um, I think she just changed. Mm -hmm. She just changed, you know, if you've seen someone who's passed away, certainly someone you love, and I haven't, I've seen my father dead and my mom dead. That's my two experiences with dead people. Mm -hmm. And both times it was so extraordinarily, uh, I just was so aware of that they're not in there anymore. Mm -hmm. There's no part of who they were. My mom used to say the greatest thing, I just love that she said, your soul is your pilot and your body is your spaceship. <laughs> and I, when you're a kid, I just thought, that's so perfect, because mm -hmm. I always pictured this little pilot looking through your eye, you know, driving your body around and picking up a sandwich right. and walking over here. And, yeah. and it was such a great thing. And I just, uh, I miss her a lot. I still can't believe she's gone. 
but I was tired. It was 10 years of, you know, looking after a lot. I had amazing people that helped me. And it's, the, it's such an honor. I think filial piety, you know, looking after a parent is so lost in our culture. We, we send them off. And I don't mean that's a bad thing. My mom had to go to a, a nursing home too. I, I had to pull the trigger at, at some point and go, it's too medical now. And her safety is, mm -hmm. is paramount. But we do it so quickly. A lot of times people don't even try. Mm -hmm. To, to look after them. In other cultures, older people, grandparents, great-grandparents, they're still in the house. They don't have a choice. They're not, yeah. they're not, you know, you'll see them, they're getting fed and everyone's responsible. Yeah, it takes a village there. Everyone's yeah. responsible for these, for their elders. And I hope we find our way back to that because we are in for a shit storm that you have no idea what's coming in this country with people. This is a disease that they have no grip on. There is no cure in sight. There is no treatment. There is no, they don't know why. They really don't know why. Genetics, they can throw that out there, but the, the, uh, the truth of it is, is that it's coming and we don't, we're ill-prepared for what to do, where to put people, how to look after them. Um, I'm, maybe one of the reasons I write about it a lot is because I, I worry about getting it myself. Sure. It's not going to be bad for me. I won't know. But for the people around me, people that care about me, it's going to be terrible. That's a Chris Chris problem. has already said he's not looking after me. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you have other people here who would like the job, so I feel like... What do you do when you miss your mom? What, what's your... Uh, I cry a lot. Yeah. I cry on any? planes a lot. I get yeah. up there and I'll I listen cried on to the music. Plane reading your book. I was that lady. That That's was lady okay in the, too. Yeah, but it's hard. Like I also, like I. It's funny. Your book was there, and I was like, I know this is gonna make me cry. <laughs> and I start reading. I start crying. I'm like, I'm gonna put it down. All <laughs> I right. You, I, I hope to, you laughed a little bit too. I did, but it's so beautiful. Like it is such a beautiful memory. I hope it helps people, and I yeah. hope that I hope having a character in the show helps people too. I had so many she's comments. She's fantastic, Deborah Grover. Deborah Grover, who plays my mother, and she's so much like my mother. It's it's probably yeah. why I wanted her to. Like I saw all these actors and act, actresses, sorry, like actresses call themselves actors, so I always I get mixed up. I potato. Yeah, but uh, I, when I saw her, I'm like, I hope you're good at what you're doing because I want you so bad. Yeah. And she was just so brilliant. She's delightful. But everyone, the whole cast. I mean, oh, my God. Zoe Palmer, I Jason Blicker. Did you? And I can only allow this because I love Zoe Palmer so much. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I'm glad to talk about this now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, but I also know, like, Zoe Palmer is so funny, and people can see how funny she is now because she's been doing like Dark Matter and Lost Girl, where she doesn't get to be funny, and this is no. so delightful to watch her. I just saw her in a funny Canadian movie that Jeremy Lalonde did. Oh yeah, um, I was just working out on my elliptical, you know, doing my little thing, and I saw Zoe, and I just thought she was so funny, so it kind of stuck in my mind. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. But yeah, you put like an amazing cast. Her husband, who's that guy? He's fantastic too. His name is Patrick Gilmore, and yeah. he used to be Leah, my show creator's boyfriend. And he came for dinner to my house about four years ago. I, I cooked them like something to eat, and I said, Leah, oh my God, don't lose this guy. He's so fantastic. Of course, she screwed that up. <laughs> I said, that really, I hope that Patrick can still do this part because they weren't, hadn't been talking for a long right. time. But they've worked it out. I said, He's you guys great. need to work it out. He's so funny. Yeah. And, and uh, no, just work with good people, note yeah. to self, pick good people. Yeah. But we got lucky. Um, we have to wrap it up. I'm yeah. so sorry. You have one question, and I feel like I'd be stalked if you don't uh, talk it. So, my name is Brian. Hi, Brian. I've been to every show, every concert, 
Oh, yeah. Why don't you do meet and greets, and why aren't you touring Calgary? I do do meet and greets. You do. And not, not a lot. You know what? I'm uncomfortable with paid meet and greets. So for me, that's, that's one of the things I'm just like, this feels weird to me, to have someone pay another. They can be like 200 bucks, 300 bucks to come and meet me. and do. I'm, I, I just i am not comfortable with it. I think I'd rather say hi to you for absolutely free right now as we're doing. Nice. But, but, but you know what I mean? That, but that's, that's one part of it. The other part of it um, is that I am going to be touring here. I'm here in November. I don't know where exactly I am here, but I am in Calgary in November, and I still will be doing this record. So uh, the record was just a year old in March, and we usually will work them for 18 months, but I'm already now writing for the next record. It's like Groundhog Day. They always, you know, you're on a, you're on a schedule. And I just, I write when I can, but I, I'm, I'm writing some really cool stuff. But I'm not on the radio anymore. It's, it's difficult. Uh, radio is just a whole different beast, but I, I, that, that's why. I should, I don't know. How do you feel you're a creative tank? It feels like you're always outputting. Oh, I just, I feel like people are always giving me endless ideas. I, I, uh, I don't know. I just feel, I really like doing it. I really yeah. enjoy it. Well, and I enjoy lucky. it more now than I did, you know, when I was 30, because I, I just appreciate it so much more now. I, I'm, I don't know what happiness is, but I feel, you know, that I'm working my way towards being content and well. I feel well. I feel like I'm sensible and that I'm able to cope. I have a lot of friends that, you know, are, that don't always cope mm -hmm. well. You know, I worry about people. I worry about that friend. door. Okay, my that final. That was my last egg dropping. My final, my final question. That was it. And that just, was my chance. Just so you know, this, uh, this discussion will be on my podcast firecracker department so if you have a really uh, distinguished laugh you'll be able to hear yourself yeah. and be like oh that's me that's and so great yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my final question is what advice hasn't she you... been so amazing like oh, yeah. not even a piece of paper like it's a joy just not even a you, you just have a real you just have a, a, a grace about it there's no notes or anything I, I came out here and I thought oh my just god just a second I can't ask that I cannot <laughs> ask that <laughs> For those of you listening, uh, Naomi just put her finger to her ear, Thank pretending you. that she was getting a signal from the Secret Service. No. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I, I'm such a, I just think you're an amazing human being, and it's a real treat to have well, this time thank you. with you. And uh, I think you're unstoppable. Thanks for having me. I just have had the best time. And My last question is, what oh. advice would you give yourself, uh, your younger self? Oh, God. You know, be easy on yourself. I was hard on myself growing up, mm -hmm. too. Like, my 20s and 30s especially, I was just hard on myself. I, I um, just internally, I, I can't explain it. You, you guys have all gone through it, I'm sure, yourselves. Just everything, I second-guessed everything I did. Um, I think just to really be yourself. I, I kind of aspired, oh, I should be more like that, or if I was more like that, they'd like me more if I did that. Then, he'd like me or if I did that, you know. Mm -hmm. It was, I wish I would have just known sooner to just be myself. Um, it's, it's the only way forward, mm -hmm. just to being exactly who you are. How did you learn that, though? I just time, I mean, honest to God, it is time. Yeah. I mean, it's just time going by. I, when I hit 40, I, I almost felt relieved because so many of the things that were so big to me these, these 
pointless things that picked away at me just started falling away. I guess I kind of picture it like Forrest Gump running and his braces coming off as he's going down the road. And um, age, there's, there's a sageness that comes with just time going by and you judge yourself more fairly, I think. Yeah. Um, and you just, you just grow up. You know, I knew that when I started really appreciating growing things and planting a garden, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm actually becoming the person that I wanted to become because I, I care about small things. And I care about a bird hitting the window. I care about things mm. in, in a big way. They're not small things to me anymore, they're big. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, it's, it's time going by. I, I wish I knew then what I know now, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Jan Arden. Thank you, Mitty. Thank you so much. And that's Jan. I mean, if you didn't love her before, don't you adore her now? I adore her. I adore her. Somebody said I looked a little bit like her. I think that might have been one of the best compliments ever. I think she's just so shiny. Tell me what you thought about this interview. Tell me what stuck out in your mind after we finished this chat or if there was a quote or something that resonated especially with you. I would love, love, love to hear anything you have to say about this and all interviews. The feedback that I get online is extraordinary. Our social media team has a hard time keeping up with responding to everybody, but we do eventually respond in one way or another and we so appreciate the feedback because it makes us feel like, you know, we're a community. You get it. Hit us up over at firecrackerdept on Instagram and Twitter and tell me what you think about our chat. Our Jan Arden After Show comes out later this month and we'd love you to join that conversation too. Send us an email, firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com and let us know what you took away from this episode. Maybe we'll talk about it on the upcoming After Show. The After Show is when four of our core team members get on Skype and have a quick chat about one of our favorite episodes. So jump in on that too. For those of you who followed along during TIFF with the hashtag Naomi One Dress that was designed by the fabulous Matid Mithras and styled by Anna Dunn Wilder, uh, go to our Instagram and see all the different looks that my One Dress did. Last year and this year, I had a designer design me one dress that I could wear throughout the whole of TIFF. So for every event, I wear the same dress, just styled differently. Best thing about this is A, not so much fashion waste. B, I don't have to think what I'm wearing every night. I can think about other things and it opens my brain up to just thinking about creative things as opposed to, ugh, what am I going to wear? Which causes sometimes quite a bit of stress. Uh, three, I got to work with fabulous people like Mateen and Anna and develop these things in a creative way. What a fun project. So go on over to Instagram. Let me know what you think of my one dress. We did this last year and it worked great. And so we thought, let's do it again this year. We got flip-flops to give everybody who went to the WIFT party, the women in film party during TIFF, so that you could take your heels off and not talk about how much your feet hurt, but talk about what films you saw or talk about what films you're working on or creative projects. I got so tired of being at parties and hearing people going, oh, my feet, I gotta go home. Throw on a pair of firecracker flip-flops and let's talk about something creative and also you don't have to go home so early now. Let's get comfortable. So long, achy feet. 
Big, big firecracker shout out to my core team. Holy moly, couldn't do this without them. It brings a tear to my eyes, or as my husband would say, makes me pee pee eyes. They are truly uh, the best team a gal could want, and uh, I am super lucky. So thanks for all your work, everybody. We are building something extraordinary, and you are all part of it. Now, don't forget, we have amazing things coming up in our newsletter, firecrackerdepartment.com. Subscribe. We do it once a month. No more, no less. Well, maybe just one more if it's something special, but usually just once a month. And uh, we don't inundate, but we'd love to have you part of that discussion too. And that's building and building and building. Also, we are starting a new thing. The last Sunday of every month, we usually do our Spark conversation. But this month, September 29th, we are starting a goal-setting Spark chat. So jump in on our discussion. Find out if there's a goal in your heart that you can sort of set in your vision for the future. And let's talk about it. And then we'll check in every month to see where you've gotten to with that goal. I'm really excited about working with Deanna Moffat on this, who's one of the core members and a fabulous life coach. And uh, she's going to talk people through setting goals and achieving them. Oh my gosh, things are going to be fun. Don't forget. Oh my God, so many don't forgets. But every Wednesday, the comedy department, that's Anna Gustafson in our Toronto branch and Monique Madrid in Los Angeles, they take over Twitter and they are killing it. They are killing it with funny gifs slash gifs. Is that really, has that been decided what we're calling that? And they're also supporting women and non-binary artists in the comedy community. And I love this initiative so much. So Wednesday, jump on in at Firecracker D-E-P-T. So many ways for you to be part of our community, am I right? So jump in. I'll see you there. As always, Firecrackers, thanks for being part of this community. It sure means a lot to me. And uh, I know we're building something so extraordinary. And it's because you're here. Really. It really is because, I mean, a one-person firecracker department, that's not so bad, but it's way better if you're there. I hope you take away something from this chat and let it fuel you to take some creative action in your own world. Show me what you're working on. Firecracker Art Department is coming up with some great visual arts if you're an artist. Go to our Instagram page. And there's also series coming up and our YouTube channel. Please just jump in. We'd love to have you part of the community. Go on out there, be bold, be brave, believe, and create. Let me know what you're creating these days. I'd love to hear about it. See you later. My name's Naomi, and this is the Firecracker Department. Bye.